Do you want a pizza? Do you want to be right? Do you want love? Do you want to fight? Do you want to celebrate? Or would you rather have an altercation? Do you want to build? Or do you want to tear down? And now, hope, wit, and wisdom on race, class, and community survival. Brought to you by Talking Across the Lines the Mountain of Hope organization in Mount Hope, West Virginia, and by the West Virginia Humanities Council. In pursuit of Mount Hope's story, we went to visit Mrs. Betty Brown in a Maryland suburb. When Fayette County desegregated in 1956, she had been transferred from the segregated Du Bois High School in Mount Hope, West Virginia, to Collins High in Oak Hill, closer to her home. And this was right before her senior year. This set her on a path of out-migration that soon carried her on an exodus with other black graduates to lives and careers outside of West Virginia. Brown went on to be an educator, but once schools had integrated, teaching jobs for blacks in her home community, or really anywhere in West Virginia, were, as they say, scarce as hen's teeth. Now when the moon, moon peeps over the mountain, I'll be on my weary way. You know I'm gonna follow this old highway woman till the break of day. In the early 20th century, African Americans had come to West Virginia to escape the violence of Jim Crow in the Deep South and better their lot. Half a century later, their grandchildren were leaving the declining coal fields, feeling squeezed out of a future there. In an earlier program, Mrs. Brown describes her father's journey with his family from sharecropping communities in rural Virginia in the 1920s, when he was just a boy. Cause I got the key, I got the key to the highway. I'm booked out, and I'm bound to go. You know I'm gonna leave here running. Walking and moving too slow. They came, like so many other black families, to make a new home in the coal fields. And they had an awful lot to do with making the coal fields as successful as they were. And my mother's people came from Virginia. Her father came to work in the coal mines from the farm. And when I go back, look through records and genealogy, that's all you see, that's all they did were farms or farm laborers. In Greene County, Virginia, in talking with people, they said that they had to walk for miles to get to elementary school. There was no bus. The whites would ride on the bus, yell names to them, and throw things out the window at them, but they were walking in the rain, the snow, the sleet, and the hail. That explains why so many blacks did not finish school. When I look at the genealogy of my father's uncles and his father, They couldn't read and write. They had maybe first grade education because it was so difficult for them to walk to where the school was. You talk about blacks being angry. Isn't that enough to make you angry? (laughs) It is for me, but I, I don't dwell on it. I say what I have to say about it. And of course, they came to West Virginia to work in the mines. It was 
It was difficult work and dangerous work, but it was better for them economically. And another thing, every coal mine in town had a school for the blacks, and so the kids could get an education. Dr. Ollie Watts Davis, long a professor of music and voice at the University of Illinois, Urbana, is proud of her Mount Hope roots. In the African-American tradition, education has been an avenue for advance. And I think that that is part of our rich heritage and rich tradition. Many great scholars and teachers came out of West Virginia from the African-American community. Education was very important. Kathleen Scott grew up in a house right next to the old Du Bois High School. As a young girl, she had a bird's eye view of all the comings and goings there. Living in Little Mount Hope, West Virginia, I had a fantastic childhood. When Du Bois High School had their prom, and I can remember it was just like watching a movie because the kids walked. They didn't have cars. They walked up the hill. I would look out my bedroom window and to see these girls in these gowns and their hair all made up. And back in the days, you know, they wore the long gloves and the guys in their white jackets and ties. And oh, I'm looking at movie stars <laughs> and the smell. It was in the springtime, the blossoms that were on trees. You know, if the day. I have ham and bacon. Lord, and the next morning, it ain't nothing shaking. You know it ain't no, ain't nobody's business. If I do, and it was just, it was just like I'm, you know, I'm there. I'm living in this movie. And they were going to this broken down building, which I thought was something wonderful. Having no clue that it was inferior, to me it was wonderful, segregated and all. <laughs> and it made me what I am today. Holly Watts Davis. Given the limited opportunities for us, it was important that we have a strong education. Both my grandmother and my mother saw that, and they wanted that for us. Rose Payne, a native of Mount Hope, witnessed the liquidation of her beloved Du Bois High School, when in 1956 the white students of Mount Hope High were moved into her building. A white principal was installed, and the Du Bois name was removed to make way for the new Mount Hope High School sign. Our teachers taught us that you get your education and you learn it to the best of your ability because that brain is what's going to get you through the world. And if you even have to study harder, even if you have to stay up nights learning it, make sure you get it down, pat. Eleanor Agee, a longtime resident of Brooklyn, New York, graduated from Stratton High in neighboring Beckley, West Virginia. She could not wait to leave the state and the miserable life she had known growing up in a coal mining family. She witnessed the dissolution of segregated school culture, more like an extended family with many layered support systems for black students. With so-called integration, all that she cherished in her old classroom was lost in the transition. 
students who have been used to having teachers as a surrogate mother, so to speak, that dissipated when it came to integration. A lot of students found themselves lost because they faced conflict with whites and they spent more time sometimes trying to socialize with the blacks who were in that class so they could have some kind of support than maybe concentrating on their studies like they should have. Legendary Mount Hope educator Mrs. Eunice Fleming was a major inspirational force in the peaceable consolidation of Du Bois and Mount Hope student bodies. She survived the transition to continue her teaching of both black and white students of Mount Hope. At 93, she recalled her educational philosophy, which made a lasting impression on all students, irrespective of color. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. I told the kids I had, use your eyes, ears, and intelligence. That's what I almost pushed him. I didn't raise my voice. Not at all. But that's what I pushed him to do. Eyes, ears, and intelligence. Holly Watts Davis. Mrs. Fleming, and her own gentle way of saying things very softly, but very firmly, of, of what her expectations were. Because you had to know a little bit more when you went to look for a job. Rose Payne. You had to be as qualified as you could get because of being black. You needed to have that extra knowledge, I would say. You had to be a step ahead. Mrs. Fleming was a legend. Holly Watts Davis. She was multi-talented. She was my basketball coach. She was my business teacher, in addition to being my music appreciation teacher. She was incredibly intelligent and just steady, consistent, just about excellence in everything she did. And, I mean, Mrs. Fleming taught seven subjects. It was amazing. We knew her as a musician, of course, fabulous soprano voice and lovely pianist. But she was also a geography teacher, and she taught business classes, and she coached our basketball team. Sam Pugh. This building here was built as an all-black school, Du Bois, and they even had the name on there for years. Betty Brown recalls the burning of the old Du Bois High School in 1950 and the rocky readjustment to makeshift classrooms and old storefronts and church basements for the next three years before the school board moved to build the black children a new school. Completed in 1954. I started Du Bois in Mount Hope in September 1953 at the high school, but the high school had burned. Du Bois High School that was up on the hill burned in 1950. So when I got there in 1953, we had to have classes in the church, storefront buildings, some temporary buildings, and so forth. And we'd walk from class to class. I remember Miss Fleming taught her music class upstairs in the church where the piano was. The home economics teacher taught our home ec class in the basement. And she also had us assist her different class periods to prepare lunch for the hot lunch program, which was very minimum, like hot dogs or, you know, hamburgers, something simple, because there was no cafeteria. Shiny, a little shiny. Old shanty town Lord, you know that roof is so slanting 
So we did that until 1954, when the new building was completed, and we moved in, I think it may have been the second semester in 1954, because it was dedicated in January. We loved that new building. It was wonderful, state-of-the-art for its time, but it did not have all the necessary equipment that you would think a new state-of-the-art building would have. There was the room with the desks, the lockers, uh, nice home economics department, nice chemistry and biology lab, but there wasn't the first test tube, there wasn't the first microscope, there was nothing, just textbooks. And of course, the textbooks you had to provide yourself at that time. And of course, that was a hardship for a lot of people who had a lot of children in the family. We had a nice library at Du Bois in the new facility, but no books. I remember the English teacher taking us there one day, and all there was was a set of encyclopedias and a large unabridged dictionary. So we had no library books whatsoever. And believe it or not, I found some things in one of the books I have here where I was the vice president of the library club, and we didn't even have a library. (laughs) I don't know. I don't even remember what we did, but I guess we did something concerning library. But that was the story of some of my years at Du Bois. I enjoyed it. I really had fun. Only a year and a half later came the dissolution of Du Bois and the scattering of a majority of black students to high schools in Oak Hill and Fayetteville, closer to where they lived. End of my junior year, these gentlemen from the Board of Ed came by and told us that we'd be going to different schools, that they were integrating schools. So the youngsters from my community and some of the adjoining communities went to Oak Hill. Some went to Fayetteville High. They were scattered throughout the county. And what bothered me most was I lost a lot of my good friends. I never saw them again. You know those memories, the memories they keep calling me back. Sam Pugh, a white student who moved into the recently consolidated school, sat in awe of the few black teachers who had survived the transition. In 56, we integrated, and the teachers from Du Bois, the black teachers, they were like college professors. They wanted you to be somebody. Collar had nothing to do with it. But people, they just got along. They... You know, not to say everything in the world was perfect, but no We knew we were different. Our skin was a little different color. But there was Mexicans, there was Asians, and, and we just all got along. 
Eleanor Agee says her black teachers didn't teach black history per se, but they imparted their own experiences in ways that more than made up for it. We didn't learn very much about black history, no. But our teachers lived it. They were role models. We knew about things that they had done and their ancestors. Rose Payne, from her experience as a coal miner's daughter, knew authentic history when she heard it. West Virginia history books and stuff didn't really go into detail too much about the script and the coal mining that much. It's like they touch a little bit on it, but you wanted to get deeper. If you were a coal mining family, you knew exactly what they were talking about. My dad was 42 years in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he died of black lung. Yeah, he was in there 42 years. Eleanor Agee expands on her connection with black education and black teachers. They were the ones who inculcated all this in us when we were there as their students and under their tutelage. So that's the reason why we were able to have this superiority complex, if you want to call it. We never felt inferior. We always felt that we had something that was going to be our ammunition to go out and to conquer and to get victory. My walk will be different, my talking my name. Mm, you know ain't nothing about me gonna remain the same. Don't you know I'm gonna... Change my address Where I'm living at mm, You know I'm gonna change my way of living If that ain't not enough mm, I'm gonna change the way I've been Strutting my stuff It's just got to be some Change in vain the whole community was involved in reaching out to young, growing students. When we were growing up, we had surrogate parents who were like teachers. They went to the same churches that we went to. They went to the same supermarkets. We saw them in the street. You know, they were always there. And our neighbors also, they were always there for us, watching over us looking out for us, making sure that we were staying out of trouble. Because during that time, anybody who got into trouble, your neighbor was allowed to spank you if it had to. So we always had to be on our best behavior. I never played hooky either. I loved school. And I wanted to learn as much as I could possibly learn. So I was there all the time. Whatever was going on, I was there. I was a part of the 4-H club. I was a Girl Scout. I was involved in home economics, and that's when I learned to make my own clothes. Eleanor Agee, who was among the students who, through home visits and tending to chores, sought to give back to the community elders who had nourished their development. I was always going around to houses where elderly people lived and maybe getting water for them or 
bringing in a bucket of coal or of some wood or going to the store. And we never got any money for this. We all did it out of our love to help the elderly. And so a lot of people who didn't even have children to help take care of them and they couldn't go to nursing homes, we used to go in and look out for them and go and do things for them. And this is a close community that we are missing in this day and age. It's just got to be some changes made. You've been listening to the voices of former Mount Hope students who were educational change makers in the heart of the West Virginia coal fields during the 1950s and 60s. Climbing Education's Ladder was researched, written, and produced by Michael and Carrie Klein of Talking Across the Lines, LLC, with support from the Mountain of Hope Organization, Incorporated, and the West Virginia Humanities Council. Executive producers are Reverend Charles McKinney, Jerry Adams, and Jack Spadaro. Musical selections include There'll Be Some Changes Made, Key to the Highway, and Shantytown, performed by Nat Reese on guitar and vocals, with Ralph Gordon on bass, on Augusta Heritage Recordings, courtesy of the Augusta Heritage Center at Davis and Elkins College. Original guitar and violin music by Laurel Thompson and Dan Frechette at danandlaurel.ca and laurelthompson.com. When the Whistle Blew is by Nate Polly and was performed by Michael and Carrie Klein. This project is presented with financial assistance from the West Virginia Humanities Council, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations do not necessarily represent those of the West Virginia Humanities Council or the National Endowment for the Humanities. For Hope, I'm Carrie Klein. You've got to be some changes made. I mean today, mm, it's just got to be some changes made.